My name is Shelton Woods. I'm part of the community here and glad to be with all of you. Our senior pastor is on vacation. Uh, Brad uh, is taking some time for himself and family. And so during these three Sundays, uh, the other pastors and, uh, and myself, we are, we're speaking. I also want to just make an announcement that at 5 this afternoon at the Owyhee Hotel, Boise Presbyterian Church, uh, our church plant in downtown Boise will be meeting. So that will be 5 this afternoon. We're going through a series on the Ten Commandments. And today we reach uh, the midpoint, the Fifth Commandment. And so you can turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, or you can find it on page 9 of your bulletin. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our God in heaven, we have been taught that when we pray, we are to say, Our Father. Many of us do call you Father because of Jesus Christ. And so be with us now as we look at your holy words. We pray for a vision of your grace and mercy. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. During his time on earth, Jesus demonstrated that these Ten Commandments that we are studying go much deeper than just the act of obeying or disobeying. The act was only the outworking of what was going on in the heart. Another way of putting it is this way that the act of obedience or disobedience to the command is the fruit, but behind the fruit is a root or the heart. Let, let me explain. So the act of murder is the fruit, but at the root of that was hatred. The act of adultery was the fruit, but the root of that was lust or is lust. The act of stealing is the fruit, but the root of that, of why we steal, is discontent. So when we come to this commandment, honor your father and mother, the question is, if the act of honoring, obeying, deferring to your parents is the fruit, then what is at the heart of that act? And that's what I hope to look at this morning with you. We could go in a whole lot of different directions with this, but because of time, there are just three things that we want to look at with regard to this commandment, and they all begin with C, so that might help us remember the outline. First, this is a very complicated commandment. Second, this command is meant to construct our lives. Third and finally, this command is central to the gospel. Complicated, constructive, central. First one. If you have time this summer and you're looking for a good nonfiction book to read, may I recommend to you a book called Over the Edge of the World by Lawrence Burgreen. We may not be aware of it, but 
2019 is the 500th anniversary of Ferdinand Magellan getting on a ship, and there were five ships, and actually figuring out we can actually make it to the east by sailing west. And so he goes across the Atlantic in 1519, goes uh, all the way down South America, up the Pacific, across the Pacific. It takes two more than two years. Gets uh, over to Southeast Asia. From there, they go down to the Indian Ocean. They come back through Africa, up the Atlantic Ocean. And by 1522, what happens is that the West and the East are connected because we have the first circumnavigation of the globe. The first time somebody starts someplace, goes all the way around and lands at where they started. It also coincided with, just a couple of decades later, the Counter-Reformation in the Catholic Church, led by the Society of Jesus, or the Jesuits. And the Jesuits, they were the militant academic arm of the Catholic Church. And since Asia had been found in terms of being able to get there, the Jesuits, uh, starting with Francis Xavier, made it over to Japan and then to China to try and spread the Catholic faith in these places that are now connected because we can circumnavigate the globe. And when the Jesuits got to China, they were looking for a way to make a connection between Christianity and Confucianism, or Western civilization and Eastern civilization. They were looking for bridges, and they were absolutely thrilled to find out that a major emphasis in Chinese culture and society and Confucianism is honoring your parents. In fact, it's almost impossible to find a civilization where there is not some idea of deferring to your parents as a value. Even in natural law, even if you don't believe in, in God, the atheists, Voltaire and all them, they said, well, yeah, through evolution, we understand that we're supposed to defer to our parents. We're supposed to honor our parents. So why is this such a complicated command if everybody kind of already knows it? And what makes Christianity's command to honor parents different from the rest of the world? Back to the Jesuits in China. As they were reading the Confucian classics, they found this story. That a man came to Master Kung, Kung Fu Tzu, or Confucius one day and said, Confucius, I want you to know how virtuous we are in our village. This is how virtuous we are. There was a man in our village and he stole a sheep and ate it. And his son saw him and turned in his father for being a thief. That's how virtuous we are. Confucius said, hmm. In my village, there was a man who stole a sheep and his son saw him and didn't turn him in and kept quiet. That's what we call virtue. 
So what is it? Who was the virtuous son? The man who kept quiet or the man who turned in his father? But there's something even more complicated about this command. Uh, Who was this command given to? You can see it, can't you? Mount Sinai. And Moses comes down. And he has ten commandments. And he gets to the fifth commandment. And he says, the fifth commandment is, children, honor your parents. And you can see all the parents being so glad that they finally get a command there. Finally, yes. Did you hear that? Did you hear the fifth command? Wait, don't go to the sixth command yet. The fifth commandment is you're supposed to listen to your parents. But from this point on, God says to the children, I don't want you to be like your parents. I'm going to lay them out here in the desert. I'm going to bury every single one of them here. Do not be like your parents. In fact, the rest of the Bible is saying, don't be like those parents that first got the command that they are to be honored by their children. But let's just bring this a little bit closer to us. Every academic year, I make it a requirement that uh, my students have to come in and and meet with me. And it's just a 15-minute meeting usually. And uh, I was calculating, and uh, that's about uh, 500 students a year that I meet with uh, during the fall and spring semester. And uh, when they sit down and they're nervous, you know, coming into the dean's office or to the professor's office, and, and they're like, what do you want me to do? And uh, I say, well, um, I, I just want to hear your story. Tell me your story. And I cannot tell you the number of times when they get to eight or nine minutes of their story and they don't have any other things to say, and I ask the question, well, what do your parents do? And over and over and over again I hear, well, actually, my dad, my dad is in prison. Um, my, my parents are drug addicts. My mom is an alcoholic. My dad walked out on us. Children, honor your parents. There are people in this room who have deep emotional and psychological scars because of your mom or because of your father. Some parents should be jailed for their treatment of their children. That's the reality of living in a broken world. So please don't misunderstand that we're saying to remain in an abusive home or to sweep abuse under the rug. But the reality is many of us sit here being scarred, no matter if you're 14 years old or 90 years old, because of your parents. I'm rereading a book right now uh, by Rick Bragg uh, called All Over But the Shoutin'. Very good book. He, is, uh, he was raised by a single mother down in Alabama, And uh, they were extremely poor. Uh, He made it out of there, actually won the Pulitzer Prize as a a reporter for the New York Times. But his father was a a bad alcoholic who beat his wife and uh, 
walked out on her and, and her three sons. And so a lot of the book is just about being raised in Alabama with, with a single mother who was abused and by her husband, and he walked out. He says this at the pre- preface of the book. I would like to be able to say with trite and silly melodrama that I am sorry that my father did not lo- live to see his son's name on a book. But that would be a bigger lie that I can tell at least while I'm sober. I will not use cheap sentimentality to say that this book is in any way an instrument for healing, but somewhere between understanding and forgiveness, there's another wall, and it's too wide for me to get around. Perhaps we've all been there with regard to our parents. There's this wall between forgiveness and understanding that's too big for us to get around. But there are others that are at the other end of that spectrum uh, that they so revere their parents and so honor them that they ha- actually uh, make their parents an idol. There's a couple problems with that, of course. One of them is that you're going to spend your whole life trying to gain their approval. I often think to myself, you know, my father's been dead for 17 years. I'm still trying to win his approval. Still trying to be the first one to go to work every morning so so that he knows I'm not a lazy person. We can make them our idol. There's another big problem. Some of you might have already had this problem. I I remember in high school, uh, I went to a boarding school from kindergarten to 12th grade as a day student. And... uh, it, it was uh, our senior year, and uh, there was this guy on the basketball team, and uh, he was from Australia. That's about all I'm going to say about him in case he ever hears this sermon. <laughs> um, and uh, he was just like a, he was like a man-child, you know, has this beard, and uh, we're all jealous of him because of that. And w- w- nobody... Nobody would mess with this guy. And he wasn't the best basketball player, but he was okay. And, but one of the things that he kept doing over and over and over again is, was boasting about his father. My father did this. My father did that. My fa-. And so when he was not in the room, we would start making fun of him by saying things like, uh, did you hear, I'll just call his name John. His name wasn't John, but uh, did you hear that John's father went to the moon last night? <laughs> did you hear that John's father uh, found the cure for cancer uh, yesterday in his spare time? We were taping up before a, a, a big game, and uh, John walked in the room to get taped up, and I... I was the captain of the team in high school, and so just to try and have a, a light conversation with him, I said, hey, John, how's, how's your father? I knew that would make him happy. And he said, I never, ever, ever want to see that man again. And I thought, okay. I was just worried that he would be ready for the game. It's all that I was really worried about. But I, 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 what, what happened? And, and it come to found out, find out that his father had a mistress and had left the family 
and was now with the mistress, and he never, ever wanted to see that person. That's what happens when we make our, our parents an idol. There's, there's those issues of trying to win their approval. How then are we to understand this command? It would be easy at this point for me to say, here are the seven things that we're supposed to do to honor our parents. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what religious people do. But one way to look at this is to, and what makes this command different and unique from natural law is point number two. And my next two points won't be as long as the first one. God intends this command to provide a construction for our time here on earth. When Paul went to Athens, the center of thinking and spirituality of his day, where the philosophers got together, he saw that idol. Many of you know this story. He saw an idol, and the idol was to an unknown God. And you remember Paul says, I see that you guys are very spiritual here. You're very religious, uh, and there's this, there's this altar to an unknown God. I'm here to tell you who that unknown God is. And, and remember, this is what he says about this unknown God. He says, uh, this unknown God, he doesn't need help from anyone He gives life, breath, and everything else to all people. From one person, God made all nations who live on earth, and he decided when and where every nation would be. It's hard to fathom how big this universe is. Billions of galaxies, trillions of galaxies. And yet what Paul is saying in Athens is that God determines... All of our lives, including who our parents are going to be. I want you to hear this. God did not blink on the day that you were conceived. God didn't say, oh my goodness, I turned away for a second and look what happens. What a mistake. God set in place who our parents are. We're supposed to be. And they are to be honored in part because they are a daily, a lifetime reminder of God's providence and his sovereignty. Life is a gift from God, and he used our parents to give us this gift. And they are to be thanked and loved and honored as instruments of God's kindness. May I speak to those of you today whose parents are no longer living? <laughs> Doesn't it happen you come into church and, and there's this, uh, the, the title of the sermon is A Good Marriage, and you're a single person, it's like, well, I shouldn't have come today, <laughs> you know, or, or whatever. And, and perhaps you saw in the bulletin that this is about obeying or honoring your parents and maybe your parents are already gone and you think to yourself, well, this doesn't, this doesn't mean me, but it does. We continue to honor or dishonor our parents long after they are gone. How do we present them to others? How do we think of them? Do we remain thankful for their gifts, for their care? Do we thank God for them? We honor our parents not by excusing their faults, and imperfections, but remembering that they are like us. We are being shaped by God. 
And perhaps they did the best that they could. Perhaps they did the best that they could. When I was 18, my parents made me move to the United States. And so I came to the United States. And uh, when I was in high school and in college, some of you know this, uh, I, was a, I was a pretty good ball player, basketball player. I played in high school and college and captained the teams. And I always wondered to myself, why doesn't dad come to my games? I'm leading the league in scoring, and parents come, and their, their kid sits on the bench the whole game, and they come to games. What can I do to get my dad to come to a game? What can I do to show him that I'm not a loser? And so when I came to the States, one of the things that happened was I got to meet all of my relatives here in the States. So we had a reunion in Texas. And I found out more about my father. I found out that my grandfather, my dad's father, they had 10 kids in my dad's family. And my grandfather was a severe, severe alcoholic. Would beat his wife, would beat his children. I was going to write a memoir of my father, and I was going to, the first sentence was going to be, um, my dad was born the year the world died. He was born in 1929, the year of the Great Depression when it started. They were what, I'll use another term, but they were considered poor white garbage down in Oklahoma and Texas. And one of my uncles told me, yeah, that you know, your grandfather used to drink and come home drunk and beat up his, my, my mom, your, your grandma, who I never got to meet. And so one day, uh, I think it was Uncle Vernon, Uncle Billy, and my dad decided when dad comes home tonight drunk to beat up our mom, we're going to kill him. And they stood behind the door with a baseball bat waiting for him to come through the door. He didn't come home that night. And I often think to myself, I'm, I'm worried about my dad not coming to a basketball game. And he had a dad who never, ever told him once, I love you. I think he's doing pretty good. We often say it is now during our time on earth that we get a chance to live by faith. I also want to say this. It's also during our time on earth. This is our only time where we get to honor our parents. I don't believe when we go into the next life I don't believe we will have the hierarchy of relationships that we have right now. That's hard to think about, seeing your parent and being just a brother and sister. But I think that's the way that it's going to be. Now's the time to honor, to say I love you. And parents, now's the time to take our eyes off of ourselves and our own problems and our own desires and nurture our children, pray for them, love them. 
to say I'm sorry to them. Which brings us to the final point here. And that is the commandment is central to the gospel. How is honor your mother and father central to the gospel? Here we are reminded that we are not the center of God's story. That it's not about us. This is the only command that comes with a promise. And that promise is that honoring your parents, deferring to them, obeying them, means that we will live long in the land. You see, if we live for ourselves, if we keep the spotlight on ourselves as opposed to honoring our parents, we've missed the whole reason for our existence. And it won't be long until civilizations will fall in on itself. You look at the cultural revolution in China between 66 and 76 when Mao Zedong said, children, rise up against your parents and see what happened there. Look at Cambodia and what the Khmer Rouge did when they gave the the children in Cambodia guns. In three years, one-third of the population was killed between 1975 and 1978. It's not about us. It's about honoring others. A lot of times when we look at our parents, we think to ourselves, well, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I I mentioned this a couple weeks ago in Sunday school that 85% of Americans believe that they are more decent than the average person. 85% of Americans believe that they're more decent than the average person. Thinking of this in relation to our parents, have you ever said or thought silently, boy, I'm glad I'm not like my father. I'm glad I'm not like my mother. I'm afraid it's because most of us are chained, we are chained to a sense of our moral superiority. You know, it's not what John Bradford said when he was walking in England and saw a drunken man and said, there but for the grace of God goes John Bradford. It's not looking at your parents and saying, there but for the grace of God goes me like my father or like my mother. We are that person. We are that person. We are told that we are called to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And the central story of the gospel is that God knew He would bring us into broken homes with damaged parents. And that selfishness would destroy families and marriages. But He did something about it. He sent his perfect son into this world where people kill each other, spit at each other, hate each other, steal from each other, curse their fathers, curse their mothers. The gospel writers as well as the secular historians record that Jesus was put on a cross. And while the gospel writers say that while hanging there, he took all of our failures as children, as parents, as rebels against God, and he placed them on Jesus on the cross. The good news is that on the third day he rose, 
gave us a new reality, gave us a father who loves us. You know, it's hard to enjoy somebody if you think that they're always mad at you. If you think that God is always mad at you, do you think you're enjoying God? No, he delights in you because of what his son did. Much is said about resurrection morning. I'm going to end here. Much is said about resurrection morning. And we know that first conversation he had that resurrection morning was with a woman, was with Mary Magdalene. But oftentimes we overlook the last conversation Jesus had with a woman. While he's there, naked, on a tree, bruised and battered, dying of thirst, trying to grasp breaths. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour on, the disciple took her to his own home. Even on the cross while he is bearing the sins of the world, Jesus is following the command of honor your mother and father. Mom, here's who's going to take care of you. And he's given us new hearts so that we can look at our parents and honor them because of his sovereignty. Praise be to God for his grace and mercy shown to us in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, for those of us who know you, we say we love you. We are thankful for your providence in giving us life, in giving us the parents that we have, We honor you as the author of life when we honor our parents. For the hurt that we have caused each other as children or as parents, we ask your forgiveness. We pray we would be made aware of how much we've been forgiven so as to extend forgiveness to our children and to our parents, even to our parents who may or may not still be here with us. And we can only do this through your grace. And we pray this through Jesus' name. Amen.